0: As we step onto the scene of Scripture, we find ourselves in Rome with the Apostle Paul as he is under house arrest in this letter that Paul has sent to the church of Ephesus. We must understand that Paul isn't just instructing the church on how they should mature in their faith. He is also encouraging them to show up, to step up, to suit up and to stand firm in the face of great opposition with the other members of the team, the body of Christ. Now I say if there is anyone who understood spiritual warfare, it was the Apostle Paul. Later on here in Ephesians in chapter number 6, Paul is going to alert the church to their adversary, but he is also going to encourage them by informing them of the resources, the equipment, if you will, that God has made available to them. Chapter 6 and verse number 11, the Bible says, "...put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. And it begins to to list the armor of God that we've been given. You see, to... A great degree the uh, Paul understood the pressures and the problems and the pains that this group of believers here locally in the Church of Ephesus, but also even to our day, how that we would not only encounter those pressures, problems, and pains, but that we would be called upon to endure them as we press forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Paul knew that in order for the church of Ephesus to have the strength that it needed to stand strong in the day of adversity, they needed two things. They needed a close relationship with Jesus Christ, by the way, that is first, foremost, and paramount, because the second will not happen without that. They needed a close relationship with Christ. And then secondly, they needed a close relationship with each other. We highlighted last week on how the people of God really should be like a family and not like a family that's constantly fighting and arguing and bickering with one another, but family who actually love and care and long to meet with and serve alongside each other. However, Paul also knew that both of these relationships, our relationship with Christ and our relationship with each other, from time to time can prove to be very difficult. You say, wait a second, our relationship with Christ can prove difficult? Oh, absolutely, but not on His part. You see, the difficulty in that relationship comes on our part, doesn't it? We still have those fleshly desires, those that old man that that we lived under for so long that though it's been crucified and put to death with Christ on the cross of Calvary, we still have those tendencies to make those same choices and same decisions and it's those choices that cause us to drift further and further away from Christ. But we come to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul, though... This does spring out of our relationship with Christ. Paul is really emphasizing our relationship with each other. You see, Paul understood that when a team or a group of believers is standing against the adversary, it doesn't take long before internal pressure doesn't just begin to build. But it can blow. You know what I'm talking about. It happens in your home all the time. Husband and wife doesn't see eye to eye and they can only take it to so long or for so long until one or the other begins to explode in anger, right? You're looking at me like, preacher, that happened this morning before I came to church. Yeah, it happens a lot, especially on Sundays. The devil likes to get in ahead of time to distract you from being here in the house of God so you don't get what God wants for you. But listen to me, just like that can happen at your home, it also happens in the church. You ever had that person that just seemed like if anybody could push your buttons, it was them? And then sooner or later, there's a breaking point where you say something you shouldn't have, you do something you shouldn't have done, you end up regretting it because you know after the fact, I was wrong for doing that. But it still happens. You see, Paul understood this. When Paul was writing this letter, evidently there was part of his reason for writing was a concern about the church of Ephesus. is because he had heard of some of the internal struggles that existed within the body. So now, in Ephesians chapter 4, having instructed them in doctrine, he now turns to the practical application of what he has just taught, and primarily how it impacts their relationship one with another. We pick up our reading in chapter 4, and verse number 25, where Paul says this, Wherefore, Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Be, therefore, followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering of and a, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor in the habit of marking things in the Word of God, I want to draw your attention back to chapter 4, to verse number 26, where the Bible says this, Be ye angry, and sin not. Be ye angry, and sin not. Our thought this morning is simply this, when feathers get ruffled, when feathers get ruffled oh there were so many titles we could give to this but I I think you understand what we're talking about when we say when feathers get ruffled you ever seen a chicken that's where that phrase comes from they they ruffle them feathers up like that and those talons they they ball up like that and they're ready to attack you okay The same thing happens with the people of God. From time to time, things happen in the church. And, man, it's like you let the cat out of the bag. You know? My mom. I saw that in her a lot of times. And my mom, she has, like, indestructible claws. I'm telling you they don't break. Growing up, she'd get me right there. And she'd take those fingernails and she'd pinch and she'd begin to twist. Oh, it's still I still run from her today. Yeah, I mean, she was mean. I was abused as a child, okay? <laughs> yeah. Preacher, what do you saying? I'm saying sometimes there's those certain people who knows that one spot. And man, it's like they do everything they can to get to that one spot. They just keep pushing. We understand that in our relationship with people, but sometimes we not only fail to understand that in the church, but we fail to respond to it as we should. You see, keep in mind, when the Apostle Paul writes these words, Be ye angry and sin not, Paul is writing in the context of the local New Testament church. He is talking to this church in Ephesus, and he's saying this, Hey, in the church, be angry and sin not. Last week, I made this statement. I said that great uh, teams are built on great relationships. And so are, so is the church. The church is built on great relationships. But the reality is that some of the greatest defeats that the church experiences are not from external forces, but rather from internal feuds. You see, God has given the church His Spirit, a great power. He's given us His Word, great instructions on how to overcome the battles of life. And we know the battles are coming, but sometimes we get a little knocked off balance when the struggle is not external, but internal. Because the church consists of flawed and sinful people like us. The truth is that there will always be disputes, disagreements, Differences of opinion, discouragements, and disappointments. That's life. Just like at home. Listen to me. Hey, man. Do you always see eye to eye with your wife? I would ask for hands, but I don't want you to get in trouble for lying. Because what we would do is try to be the big man. Yep, that's me eye to eye all the time. She she, 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 sees... She sees things my way and things go well, right? Yeah. <clears> Roll, <throat> what is it? The greatest advice you can ever give a young married man is, yes, dear. Right? Someone said this. You have a young couple who's dating and they're they're in that courting process, and and man, they're so sweet and all that. And, and they go out to eat, and they're like, honey, what would you like to eat? She says, oh, I don't know. I think I'd like to have this. Okay, I'll get you that. And then you get married, and she loses her her brain. I don't know what happens, because every time you pull up to the window now, she can't figure out what she wants to eat. And the, and the guy now, I mean, they've been married for five or six years, and he looks at her and says, would you just make up your mind? We eat her all the time, and you get the same thing every single time. What is there to think about? You see the difference? Yeah, if that's not happening in your home, I need to talk to you because... My marriage is not as good as yours, alright? So what I'm saying is this, from time to time you get teams together and they're working alongside good for so long but all of a sudden pressure begins to build and something throws you off kilter and before you know it, you're at odds with each other and you begin to lose in the battle that you're trying to fight. And I say the greatest help in a home is a husband and a wife who has a strong relationship with each other. But in order to have that strong relationship, they must deal with the hard times. Church is the same way. I will to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have had hard times with a church family member? maybe in this church or maybe another church, but at some point in time, somebody has ruffled your feathers. Somebody has gotten under your skin. You see, the reality is, it's not a sin for you and I to have differing opinions. It is not a sin for you and I to take different stances and different positions. Listen, that's been in the church ever since the church was established. But it does become wrong when we fail to respond to those in a way that is pleasing to God. How you respond to internal struggle is either going to strengthen the church or is going to weaken the church. It was Billy Sunday who made this statement. He said, it's amazing. God is doing as well as He is with the crowd that He has to work with. And then when you think about that, how true a statement is that? If you look in the mirror and you say, boy, I'm great. You've got blinders on or something. Because when I look at the mirror and I look at my life, here's what I see. I'm full of problems. And I'm full of failures. And I'm full of shortcomings. And I begin to sit back and wonder, how in the world can God use me on a team to press forward in this world with the things of spiritual nature? See, here's the thing. We can very quickly as a church family lose sight of the importance of church unity. And forget that the issues that we find ourselves fighting over are never as important as the relationships that we share. You see, here's the thing. When it comes to the body, when it comes to the church, you say, preacher, you don't know what they said to me. I'll say this. It doesn't matter. And I don't mean to take whatever you're going through lightly. What I'm saying is this. God has given you and I the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's given us. And we need to be as willing to forgive someone who hurts us as Christ forgave us after we hurt him. And when proper reconciliation comes in, listen to me. Problems are not a sign for you to leave. Say, preacher, what do you mean? Because I'll say this, if you leave because of a problem, guess what you'll find wherever you go? You'll find the same problem. Oh, it may take two or three weeks, or two or three months, or two or three years to show up, but all you're going to do is carry the problem with you. And you'll leave there because of the same problem. Listen to me. Problems are not a reason to leave. Problems are an opportunity to strengthen the relationship. Here's what you have. When you take a football team, for for example, when you bring these players together who have never played with each other their entire life, they don't know each other, they've, they've never worked with each other, and you put them in. You know the first thing they try to get them to do? To build a relationship and work together. Guess what always happens? They always butt heads. Always. Why? Because this person's used to doing it this way, while that person's used to doing it that way, and listen, they both end up with the same result. They just have a different way of getting there. And so what happens? Well, this guy thinks this guy's wrong, and this guy thinks this guy's wrong. If they never work that out, then there will always be a weak spot on the team. The same thing happens at a church. God brings imperfect people together. Bill, I love you in the Lord, but you know what? You're an imperfect person. Miss Sue tells me so all the time. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't care how good you think you are. By nature, you are at best imperfect. And so when you bring imperfect people together, there's always going to be friction. There's always going to be struggle. There's always going to be conflict. Sin, by its very nature, brings conflict. And it happens in the church. But what you and I have to do is be willing to say, okay, you know what? There's a problem here. And when the problem arises, we don't run, but we get together and we solve it and we figure it out. And that opportunity to grow takes place and the church becomes stronger for it. And the world looks at a body of believers like that and says, hey, what's different about them? They actually like each other and they can get along when stuff goes wrong. Can I say this by nature? There's not a person in here who really likes conflict. I'll say this, there's probably some who like to cause the conflict, but they don't like to be engaged with them personally in the conflict. Does that make sense? You always have somebody. I'm not going to get to my outline this morning. We'll just go where God takes us, okay? There's always going to be somebody who's going to say, you know what, there's this problem in the church. There's always going to be someone who wants to point it out, say, you know what? This is a failure, and this is off, and this and that, and I don't like this, and why they do that. There's always going to be that person. Can I say this? I don't want to be that person. What we need in the Joy Baptist Church, in order for us to have strength, if I've got something against Brother Cliff, maybe Brother Cliff, and listen, I don't I've never heard Cliff say anything that would that would make me think that that he was trying to to, to gear something against me or not. I mean, he's just a friendly, nice guy. But let's say he did say something that hurt me. You know what I should do? I should go to Cliff and say, you know what? That that kind of hurt when you said that. You know what Cliff is probably going to say? I had no idea. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. You see, most of the problems that you and I face in our relationships is what we perceive. It's not what was actual. Somebody comes to you and says, you know what, you said this and this hurt me. And you're going, man, I didn't mean it in that way at all. You ever had that situation happen? Oh, as a pastor, many times. I'll say something and somebody will come and say, well, you said this. I'll be like, I I, I didn't mean that at all. I mean, that wasn't even anywhere on my my radar. I'm sorry you took it that way. May I say, a lot of it is simply perception, and the church goes through periods of weakness all because we perceive something to be different than what it actually was. May I say, marriages are the same way. Relationships between a husband and a wife often have struggles because one thought somebody meant this, or one thought somebody was bringing up that again, right? We we all know that women keep a long list of everything. Man, we can't remember anything past the day we just slept, all right? I mean, but, but women, man, they keep like a, like my wife, she can pull out a scroll. You her back on August the 1st, 2009. Yeah, you remember what you said back then? Yeah, I, no, I don't really, <laughs> you know, I, I, but I bet you're getting ready to tell me, <laughs> you know. I'm picking, my wife's not here, that's why I'm saying things like that, okay? Don't you dare tell her. <laughs> It's all recorded right now. Yeah, she'll find out somehow. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Those things are a part of life and they're a part of ministry. When you begin to study throughout the words of the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church of Corinth especially, you know what he talks about time and time again? There's strife, there's envy, there's contention, there's, there's heartaches, and there's, there's things going on in the body that doesn't belong. And listen, sometimes you may have those who just want to cause problems, but a lot of times it's not meant to be that way. It's how we perceive it. I'll say this. Because we know that conflict is going to, interpersonal conflict is going to be a part of the church, what we need to keep in mind is how we respond when those things happen. Here's what you could do. You could respond this way. You could just fail to acknowledge it. Next question, does that do any good? No. Does no good at all. So, preacher, why does it not do any good at all? Because here's what happens. You grow to resent that person, and that person grows to resent you. Neither of you know why, but you know there's something there. I mean, there's, there's ever looked at somebody and said, man, I don't know why they don't like me. But for some reason, they don't like me. Rather than trying to reconcile it, we just take and say, you know what? Well, if they don't like me, they don't like me. Okay. All right. Instead of trying to say, you know what? Have have I said something or done something that's hurt you? And trying to make it right. Let me say this. Relationships, again, teams are built on great relationships. Relationships are built on trust. And trust is only built when truth can be shared. Now, here's the reality. When truth is shared, sometimes truth hurts. That's why we allow fear to keep us from acknowledging that there's a problem. Listen, just because you don't acknowledge the problem doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist. Doesn't. Yeah, I think I got all those double negatives in there, right? Listen, just because you say, hey, that's not real, doesn't make it so. So we can fail to acknowledge it. Or number two, we can run from it. We can flee from it. You ever know somebody like that? You come into the church and, and, and somebody's coming this way and they're getting ready to make their way up the aisle and they see, oh, there's so-and-so. You get to handshaking time and people begin to take and shake hands and, and you're watching, okay, are they going to go to the right or are they going to go to the left? And whichever way they go, you go the opposite way. But you're running from the problem. What good does that do? None. Here's what happens: A root of bitterness begins to spring up in your heart. By the way, once a root of bitterness I've studied it here recently when it talks about that root of bitterness I don't know because the passage never talks about removing the root of bitterness. It's preacher sure what you' saying. I'm saying it kind of gives the impression that that root of bitterness is something that kind of keeps coming up, and once that root of bitterness is installed, you've got to take and fight with it daily. To keep that under control. So what do we do? We don't allow it to turn to bitterness. When you're fighting with your spouse, when you're in a heated argument and things aren't going the way that you want to go, when you simply say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to go take a drive. What have you just done? Nothing. Because all you're doing is running from the problem. And usually what happens is you begin to get in a pattern of doing that over and over and over and over again until all the problem does is get bigger. It's like a cancer. So you can fail to acknowledge it, or you can flee from it. Or what about this one? You can fight the problem. In other words, I don't like what you did to me. I don't like how this came about. I don't like, like all the situation here. And the cause of that, I blame you. And I want to make sure you know it. You ever known somebody like that? I mean, they intentionally look for ways to undermine progress, to hurt, to harm, to downgrade. I mean, they look for ways to get back at you. And many times that person doesn't even understand what they've done. All you're doing is make the problem worse. Some people say this, well, rather than fight them, I'll just fuel the flame. I'll pull Shane aside. And Shane so-and-so said this to me. I can't but I'm so mad. And you ought to be mad at him too. And then after they tell Shane, they'll go to Forrest. Forrest so-and-so said this to me, and I'm mad at him. And you ought to be mad at me. And Shane's both mad at him. Won't you just jump on board? What are you doing? You're creating division. Rather than lashing out at the person, you chose to lash out behind the person, about the person. <laughs> Paul says this, he says, be ye angry. Listen, there are times and there are circumstances that it is well within our responsibility to get passionate about those things. But listen to me, we are not to attack the person as so much as we are to attack the issue. What's the problem? What's wrong? How have I wronged you? And then you and I ought to seek to have restitution and reconciliation and restoration take place. Just like Christ did with us. Strife and contention is the result of very selfish behaviors. It's all about me. It's all about what I like. It's all about what I want. But listen to me. The church is bigger than you. The team needs you. And it's bigger than that. How many times have you watched a football game where the defensive lineman they get up on the line or, or the offensive and they, you know, got the, the offensive lineman and as they're, they're on the line? Maybe the defense breaks through the line. Because one person didn't do the job, because one person failed to do what it was. Can you imagine having the quarterback and the offensive lineman in a fist fight out on the field during a football game? I would hope not. You know what I would hope would take place? I would hope the quarterback would go to the lineman and say, you know what? Miss him this time. Just get him next time. Because why? I still want him on my side. You see, I hate for Chester to be my offensive lineman as I'm the quarterback and me and Chester, uh, you know, having odds and fighting against each other and, and, Chester to, to maybe mess up once and let somebody through and me to, me to just give him an earful and give him a lash and just let him have it. Man, you're such a failure. Why did you do this? How could you let them go through? It? That's your responsibility. Why did you do it? You know what Chester might do the next time? He might just say, Now, I don't think Chester's going to do that, but what I'm saying is this. When you and I choose to run from the problem, when we choose to fail to acknowledge it, when we choose to fight it, when we choose to, 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 to just put fuel to the flame, all we're doing is just that. We're allowing the enemy to have a free, open space to make his way in and cause destruction. Guys, listen. As a team, as the church, we're going to face spiritual warfare. And the devil, what he wants to do is to take your passion to move forward in the things of God and turn each of us against each other. And the moment he does, he wins. You see what he says there? Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. That what he says. So what do we do? We realize how much we need the team. We realize how much the team needs us. And when the pressure begins to get hot and tension begins to boil, we don't allow it to turn ourselves against each other. We say, fine, this is going to happen. I said this. I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. You said that. It hurt me. I forgive you. Now let's get back on track and push forward. Husband says to the wife, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry, I was so, I was so rough when I came home today. It was such a hard time at work. I shouldn't have done that. It was just boiling inside of me all day long. It shouldn't have come your direction. Would you forgive me? The wife should say, yes, honey, I forgive you. You know, I've had a tough day as well, and I probably shouldn't have responded the way that I did. And now you're back on the same page. There's strength, there's unity, there's continuity, and now there is the ability to move forward in power. What is this business of allowing something from ten years ago to still create soreness in somebody's heart and life? Can I just be blunt? Get over it. Get over it. He said, "Preacher, that is a harsh way to say." Here's what I'm saying: the only person that's probably hurting from that still is you. What good is it doing? Put it to rest seek forgiveness, seek reconciliation. Paul says this, if it be possible. And look, there are times where it's not possible. I get that. There are some people who you just can't get along with. I mean, they are just built to be obstinate creatures. But here's the thing. I'm not responsible for how they respond to the situation. I'm responsible for how I respond. And I will be held accountable for how I respond. So when I choose to respond right, then I am brought back into a right relationship with God and I can be brought back into a right relationship with the body of Christ and through that, great power can be seen as we move forward. My time is coming on this morning. So much more I want to say. I, I I need to conclude. As a church, God has placed us here with a purpose. Our purpose is to go into this world that is consumed with the darkness of sin that's lost, dying on their way to hell. Our responsibility is to go and get them. The Bible says to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. But what we have to do is show them something different. Listen, they see the antagonism in the world. They see the internal conflict and the struggle in the world. And you know what they see? They see people who don't know how to deal with it. By the way, they don't know how to deal with it because they've never been taught how to deal with it. In most cases, neither have we. We live in a generation now where we're not taught how to handle our feelings, our emotions, our weaknesses. We need to get back to that. Also, if I have hurt you or wronged you in some way, please come and tell me. Please. Why? Because I love you and I want to help you in whatever way I possibly can. And whatever I've done to hurt you, I want to make it as right as I possibly can. Well, preacher, you wouldn't like it. So much more I want to say. You know the reasons for conflict? Some of the reasons for conflict is this. Somebody may not see things the way you see something. But you know the second reason? You're not always right either. So sometimes you don't have the full backstory, And sometimes it helps just to sit down with the other person and say, you know what, you said this, and I took this this way, and, and when somebody sits down and says, you know what, I made this statement because of this, and this, and this, and you. you may look back and say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't know all that. You know, so many times we allow not knowing the facts to keep us at odds with somebody who in Christ we are called to love and to serve together with. When people come to Joy Baptist Church, here's what they should see. They should see a body of believers who can work closely together, not a group of people who are good at fighting with each other. How do we get there? We have to learn to resolve conflict.
1: Acknowledge
0: the problem. Remember our priorities. Our priority is our relationship with Christ, our priority is our relationship with the body of Christ. Acknowledge the problem. Remember our priorities, and then seek to take and find reconciliation. Deal with the pressure point, because it will only get worse if it's not dealt with. When feathers get rough, Paul's talking to the church. He says, be angry. It's okay to be passionate. That's normal. But don't let the devil turn you against each other. Use that as fuel not to attack each other, but to throw it back in the adversary's face. Say, you know what? You tried. It was a good shot. But we're bigger than that. We're better than that. You're going to have to try again. When the feathers get ruffled.